and welcome Mehaba Vejos Geldenes to our podcast, Talking Round North Cyprus. Yes, we're back. I know you've been worried about where we are, but uh, we took a few weeks off, particularly uh, while my co-host and longtime friend Roger Barra was away. He had a little holiday, but he was really actually recuperating after undergoing a procedure a couple of months back. So, Rog, lovely to see you. How are you? And where have you been? <laughs> Thank you for asking. And hello, everybody. It's great to be back, by the way. It really is. I've really missed doing this over the last month or so. Uh, I've been in the UK for a while, family wedding, recuperating, resting, overdoing it at times. I went to see three... <laughs> three top flight football matches in five days while I was in the UK. And they were all birthday presents from various parts of the family. So it didn't cost me a bean, which is all very nice. And then the, the last week, and we only got back a week ago, my side of the family did Malta. And it's been twice postponed because of COVID. So it was third time lucky. Had a huge Airbnb villa overlooking uh, the Maltese coast and we just did a week of relaxing eating and drinking and it was it was absolutely fantastic so uh, I'm feeling a lot better thanks very much. So are you able to sort of talk us through what you've had done and and where you were because I know a lot of people listening to this worry about being unwell perhaps when they're living abroad particularly if Mm. they are in North Cyprus so can you sort of talk us through what what uh, what happened? Back in May, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And this is after 69 years of never having been prescribed a tablet. So I've got to say, I've been really lucky. And while I was really angry to have gotten nabbed by <laughs> cancer so late in life, over here in the TRNC, it was very quick. Now, I've been talking to friends in the UK who have undergone the same kind of treatment and In the UK, apparently, they're not so quick to say, right, let's have the prostate out. Let's do it. Get rid of it. Uh, Over here, they're more directive about that. So both my GP and my surgeon said, this has to go and then you should be cured. Uh, So within a month after the biopsy at the Near East University Hospital in Lefkosha, which, by the way, is a state-of-the-art facility. It is extraordinary. You know, you feel very, very safe there. I had the procedure, and um, it was a week ago today, as we're doing this podcast, that I did my PSA test uh, for for the prostate area, and uh, it came back so low, the reading, for the first time in my life since I've had these tests, um, and it means I don't need any treatment. So... You know, the prognosis is really good. I thought the treatment was excellent. I was only in hospital for two days. The recovery has taken a lot longer than I thought, but then I had nothing to gauge it against because I'd never had an operation before. I know, and you're Um, a bit impatient, aren't you? I mean, you were like, oh, well, I'm fine now. I'll just get up and go for a run. (laughs) Yeah, and and I haven't started running yet. I've done a lot of walking. But it did occur to me, Sarah, and I'll put this out now, that if anybody has been diagnosed with prostate cancer, uh, or is going through the process and fancies a chat about it, then do private message me because I'm already in touch with a couple of people that my surgeon put me in touch with uh, that are going through the same thing. And it is useful, as anyone knows who's been through stuff, to talk about it and then realise, well, actually, although everybody deals with it in a different way, you know, psychologically, you can put each other at ease and and and, and let you know 
the things to look out for or whatever. But if anybody's interested in doing that, just private message me, Roger Barra, B-A-R-A, and uh, I'll be happy to talk to you. Oh, well, that's nice. Um, When we had that great chat with Mike Whitehouse, who runs Eagle's Nest, he was very open about cancer treatment he had as well, wasn't he? And as I say, I mean, there's a huge slogan in the UK about it's good to talk because I think it does just just help, doesn't it? And I'm sure perhaps if you'd had somebody to talk to initially as well, just to sort of uh, allay your fears a little bit. But Mm -hmm. that's fantastic news that you're out the other side. So that's really brilliant. But anyway, let's have a look and see what's been going on in the TRNC since our last broadcast a few weeks ago um i've seen bits and pieces obviously follow stuff on social media but there's talk of a turkish cypriot airline once again what do you know about that rog it's really strange this because on the one hand i've read reports and they're from our good usual sources that there's talk that studies are going to be initiated for the establishment of a national airline and you think okay that 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 seems like a good idea i'm sure lots of People on the island that can afford to travel by air would be happy to travel in our national airline. But then I read that the airline is already going to be called Mavi Gurne Haveyolari. Blue Kyrenia Airlines is the literal translation. And now this morning I'm reading the first flight is already going to Trabzon. Five aircraft have been confirmed and it's all starting on the 15th of November which is to coincide with the opening of the new bit of Erzhan Airport, oh, finally, you right. know, after five, six years of nothing happening. And that all seems very quick to start an airline. And I could only hope that, you know, there are some experts who know how to run an airline running this uh, Mavi Gurne Haveyolari. So it'll be interesting to see what the next steps are. But from studying an establishment of a national airline to the first flight on November the 15th just seems very, very quick to me. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And you're just like, so who's paying for this? Where are you getting your planes from? Are they airworthy? Where are we going (laughs) on them? And um, good luck with the inaugural flight. That's all. But I've seen also that um, there's talk of direct flights to and from Russia. So they're not behind it, are they? Well, President Erdogan, uh, from Turkey has said that he's discussed the start of direct flights from Russia to the TRNC with his Russian counterpart, you know, good old Vlad Putin. And obviously flights to Russia would provide support for the economy, both in Russia and of course uh, here mm-hmm. in the TRNC. You know, Turkish media are reporting that two Russian airlines are interested in starting flights to the new Erzhan airport on November the 15th. But it's surely, Sarah, it's not up to countries' leaders or rulers to decide who can and can't fly directly into the TRNC. I mean, it's all part of the Chicago Convention, isn't it? It's a civil aviation authority who at the Mm. moment are saying you can't fly direct there uh, unless you go through Turkey. So I I really don't know what's happening there, but certainly talks are afoot. Anyway, how Mm. that affects the TRNC, we'll have to see in the near future. But Sarah, talking about the TRNC, there was the 77th session of the United Nations General Assembly on Tuesday the 20th. And for the first time ever, the international community has been invited to formally recognise the TRNC. And of course, that once again is President Erdogan, who in a 30-minute address included that as, as part of what he 
he told the gathered crowd. I don't know if you know this, Sarah, but I did find out doing some research that initially in 1983, the TRNC was backed by three countries, Turkey, of course, Pakistan and Bangladesh. But Pakistan and Bangladesh were forced to withdraw their diplomatic recognition after international pressure. So uh, only Turkey formally recognises us, as you know, and only Turkey has an embassy in left Kosha. Once again, we'll see what happens. But bearing in mind who made the request, I mean, Erdogan is not great friends with many people and his country isn't great friends with many people around the world at the moment, especially yeah. in view of his relationship with Russia. So uh, maybe nobody's listening, but we'll see. It's early, a bit historic, that. It is. It is. And, uh, and it just gets the name out there, doesn't it, to remind yeah. people that actually do exist. And, you know, maybe a few people will go back and have a look and have a look at the history and that sort of thing. Any mention is, is a good mention, as you say. I mean, and I know Erdogan is sort of treading a uh, a diplomatic path, isn't he, as well, sort of trying to, he does try and broker stuff that's going on between, you know, Russia and other countries as well. So, uh, yeah, interesting time politically. So that's all going on in the TRNC. Of course, this past 10 days or so um, over in the UK, well, everywhere, actually, (laughs) we've been mourning the death of the Queen. Where were you when you heard the news that she died? It was tea time in Malta. And I say all my family were there. And we're all roughly the same sort of age. So despite our advanced years, Queen Elizabeth was the only monarch we've ever known. And mm. she's always been there, you know, on every stamp we've ever bought. Her her head was, was there and it was a really, really strange feeling. I certainly, when we got back, I watched the funeral from start to finish, well, most of it, and I didn't think I would. I thought I'd watch the important bits, but it was rather compelling. And and rather emotional. And I know I'm quite emotional anyway after the op and, and you know, the various scenarios of what might happen next. So we both are, me and Mrs. B, but we, we were babbling quite a bit. And um, I know you were right in the midst of the crowd working for the BBC on the day of the funeral. So t- tell us about your experience. But I was going to have the Monday off. And I mentioned actually to my boss in Northampton that I was thinking of going. And he said, oh, well, I'll pay you for the day. And I was like, OK. <laughs> I went down and I broadcast for BBC Northampton. So I did a scene set for them. And I went down on the train and I thought it'd be really busy. It was absolutely quiet. It was really eerie. I got the train from Market Harbour at about half past five in the morning. And some people got on from Kettering. So I went and boxed them and said, hello, are you going? And sent that to Northampton. And then the tube was all right as well, even less than you'd expect on a Monday morning. Um, But when I got out of Victoria, it was really eerie Victoria Station in London because there were no cars. And for a Monday morning in in London, you know, that was the the strange thing. You're like, it's really quiet. There are no cars. Uh, Right down to Victoria, they'd they'd blocked it all off. And loads and loads of people in fluorescent jackets, you know, herding you sort of along. So I was thinking, well, I'll get as close to uh, Westminster Abbey as I possibly can. And yes, yeah, so we stood there and we chatted with the with the people that were that were there. There was an Italian lady. It was a lady that come from France, from Lille. Um, she'd been there for the weekend. There was a family again from Lancashire who come down on the Saturday, um, and they'd been all over and just seen lots of different things. Um, the lady that I was talking to, she, the most excited she got was the fact that she saw James Blunt in the queue. Um, for for the lying in state and she said um, she said I stopped to take a photograph of him and he put his thumbs up you know sort of like oh yeah like this she said and at that very moment my husband rang me and the camera stopped 
because the because the phone cut in and I and her husband was like, like standing there very sheepishly and she said I couldn't ask him to do it again she said so this is the only photo I got and she sort of got like a half half side of James Blunt looking the other way and she was really cross with her husband but anyway so uh, that's did the- you ask her if she was eventually going to get her life yes that's right so that was so again it was all quite it was all quite jovial you know while we were waiting people were chatting and um there was a, a portuguese lady there she was handing out everybody thought they were Werther's original and they turned out to be coffee and everybody's like oh, oh like this you know but so you know there was it was nice uh, nice atmosphere and there was quite a lot of movement within whitehall because a lot of the bands were coming up from horse guards and sort of uh, lining up in Whitehall so that when the cortege came from from Westminster Abbey it sort of came down Whitehall and there was a the bands went past and then one band went past turned round and then came and stood right in the gap that we'd lovingly sort of like oh look we've got a great view and they and it was the Royal Marine Band and they just stood there and they were there the whole time so (laughs) yes we were like oh are they going to move off first do you think and they were like oh no and then the service we could hear the service they'd um put speakers up all around london because a friend of mine was on the mall and she said they had they could hear it so at 10 o'clock they broadcast the service you know we were able to sing a hymn if you wanted to and we had the two minute silence and that was incredible in the center of london no not even a bird not even a pigeon or a seagull or a nothing just no sound for two minutes in the center of london that was incredible everybody sang the national anthem and then there was a huge sort of ripple of applause i think people just want to get some sort of relief you know and so when the national anthem finished singing uh, there was a huge sort of ripple of applause that that sort of came down and, and, and disappeared So yeah, it was it was it was very sort of emotional in a way, and just sort of being in that part of history. And then we could hear the bands coming, and we could hear the marching coming down Whitehall, and of course the beat of the of the feet of the Royal Navy who were pulling the um, gun carriage. And of course, because her coffin was higher up, you could see you could see the coffin as it went past. And I did manage to see her. I saw um, King Charles, and I saw William and Harry behind the behind the cortege as well and then that sort of went off and of course it was funny then because it had passed us and it was off down Whitehall and then it went through horse guards and out the other side but of course as soon as it gone past us everybody's like right well I'll, I'll be off then and you're like well I don't know where you think you're going because they're not going to open the roads you know people are like well I, I, can I get across the road no no, they haven't even taken Biden out of the Westminster Abbey yet. You know, they've got to get all these big wigs out. You know, that's going to be shut for at least three hours. But everybody's like, well, I've finished now. I need to go. And they were, some people get a bit stroppy and they walk down the end of King Charles Street. But of course, they hadn't even got onto the mall. So they weren't going to get out there. So people were like coming back and huffing and it's just like it's over now it's over now but anyway yeah I mean I got stuck in St James's Park because again they hadn't opened the park where Buckingham Palace is so I just sat there and did a few more hits into BBC Northampton and uh, BBC Derby and then um, I wanted to go to Green Park actually and see the flower tributes but again they'd closed that off I think they were just keen to get people out of London so yes so that was that was my day so um, I was home by sort of half past six and you know got on a train without any problem I think you know everybody just dispersed north 
south, east and west. So everybody just went in different directions once you could get out. My mum was at the coronation. So I sort of felt it was quite nice that I was at the funeral. It sort of felt like it squared the circle, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that was me. So um, anything else of note, um, your end, now that you're, you're back in harness? <laughs> well, uh, local elections have been postponed for all sorts of reasons that I won't go into. So they've set a new date for the local elections. Oh, right. The 25th of December. Oh, Yes, and and it, it, you're right to go, oh, because obviously by law on election day, there is no alcohol to be ah. consumed in a public place until 6pm. Ah. Now, of course, <laughs> there's people up in arms saying, what about Christmas? What about Christmas lunch? You know, you, you can't have Christmas lunch in a restaurant you know, three o'clock in the afternoon without champagne. No. Or, and other people have said, oh, come on, if you can't do that alcohol until six o'clock, what's it say about you? Interestingly, I've seen a one advertisement from a big hotel chain only advertising Christmas Eve and not Christmas night or even boxing night. You know, sometimes mm. the two or three night stays over Christmas. I've talked to... Other people who run establishments off the beaten track, and they say, oh, we never bother with that rule anyway. So we're going to do normal. So was, I think oh. the bigger and posher you are, if you're on a main road, I think you're going to have to be very careful. Uh, but other places, it seems, will just go ahead as, as normal. Mm. And the other thing I need to tell our prospective interviewees <laughs> on this podcast uh, I'm going to be contacting them again. Obviously, I haven't been chasing them up over the last few weeks for obvious reasons. If I've already contacted you, I will be contacting you again, and you will appear on this podcast <laughs> in the near future. Is that understood, Vicky, Tom, and many others? <laughs> you have been warned. That is your 10-minute warning. Um, yeah, well, I'm halfway uh, through a book. Um, so we'll uh, hopefully, well, and there's, there's another one lined up. So I've got a couple of authors uh, as well that we want to chat to. Uh, yes, we will get back on our list and um, you won't have to hear us waffling on too long um, because we'll, uh, we'll we'll get some we'll get some really interesting people on each yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. It's absolutely lovely to hear that you're well, Roger. That's uh, that's really good news. And it's good to be back. And we hope that people will continue to uh, listen to the podcast. Do take your friends about it if you want to get in touch with us then please do we are on facebook and twitter just look for talking around north cyprus and you can always email us as well if you've got a story to tell whatever it might be then do drop us an email trnc.podcast at gmail.com i'm sarah palmer i'm roger barra great to be back talk to you again very very soon